What's going on guys? My name is Elden Hero and welcome to my review of episode 9 of 13 Reasons Why. This show, man, I've just finished watching this episode and goddamn, I really do have a lot to say. Um, if you're listening to this on SoundCloud and iTunes, I should say SoundCloud or iTunes, if you're listening to this across two platforms at the exact same time, thank you so much. But if you would rather like have the visual aids, Check out YouTube because I put up the odd screenshot of the scene that I'm describing and uh, it just kind of makes it a little bit better I think if it's been a while since you watched this because even if I leave it like a day before I write down my notes and my thoughts on the episode I find that my memory of the scenes gets really hazy so um, it can just help to have that there I guess. Uh, other than that, you know, check out the subreddit, all the links in the description and stuff. And thanks for your continued support and the fact that you guys are still listening. Like, it's pretty awesome. Obviously, episode one was like a major hit. I don't know what happened with it. It snagged the algorithm like really well and has gathered lots and lots of viewers. Um, but to those of you who have stayed all the way up to episode nine, uh, thank you so much for doing that. So anyway, um, might as well just get into the review here. Um, and it started out with Hannah giving an intro talking about the person that she's about to become uh it's summer break at the start of this episode and hannah's trying to escape her past her goal is to use the summer to become a different person she says this in a really impassioned speech that's aimed at justin at the start but he's already had a tape about him her silhouette in a storefront which i think is a hairdresser's changes to clay's reflection and we see clay doing some running I actually didn't think that Clay was going to be in this episode because she kind of referenced that he was staying with his grandparents over the summer and they did sort of tease a Clayless episode in the past when he handed the tapes away and yet we still got an episode about a tape. But anyway, Clay doing the running is a, a really like unmentioned thing but it's a really neat little way of um, explaining the parallel between uh, Hannah and Clay once again. Oftentimes people with low self-esteem attempt to make drastic changes to their lives like they'll announce that they're going on a diet or they're taking up a new hobby like surfing or rock climbing or playing the guitar or whatever it might be like New Year's resolutions but these are really just fleeting dreams that fade away when they're not held down or anchored by serious motivation or discipline or uh, the want to do hard work so when you don't get an instant result and notice a visual difference within the first few attempts it's hard to stay focused and then these things fall by the wayside and it leans into this vicious cycle of depression i don't know if that's what they're teasing here in this episode but it's interesting that they both set goals that are quite big i mean clay didn't actually set this goal but he did feel very revitalized and refreshed after his climb with tony in the episode before and it looks like he's attempting to build on that by doing some running Hannah's goal is to bridge the gap between her current depressed self and the awesome self-actualized independent woman she wants to be and who we also see flickers of throughout this series. Clay is also stuck in a rut. It's not comparative in terms of what he's been through but it's completely real and we also know that Clay has a history of episodes or uh, you know nightmares as they're called so um, it's it's kind of unfair to say that Clay's experience hasn't been as bad as Hannah's because while it's true on paper it might not be true in his head. Clay running in the streets with running shoes and shorts though is a significant departure from the loner who couldn't even throw a basketball just a couple of episodes ago and that's down to Tony's influence and that's pretty good to see.
As Clay walks to school, he sees Jessica hanging around with Bryce, Zach, and Justin. She's drinking vodka from a flask, and Clay can probably tell that it's vodka because the reactions of those around her, like Justin sort of reacts in a sort of a, you're drinking at school kind of way, and Zach smells the bottle, and he's like, oh no, I got a test that I gotta do, and Bryce is like, hell yeah, I'll have some beer because I'm a cool guy, um, and he thinks vodka is beer, um, but they all take a swig except for Zach and Sherry. Um, no real big deal with this scene other than to show that Jessica's drinking problem is an actual problem. It's a thing that she's now doing during the day at school as opposed to lying in bed on a school night and it just makes it a bigger thing, I guess. Uh, Clay follows Jessica into a classroom and says he's listened to the tape about her party. We don't know what happened at the party at this point, so I assume... I don't assume, I mean, I assumed while I was watching that uh, this episode starts with the end or, you know, um, there's a whole uh, convoluted timeline of events happening here. But basically, we don't know the information, but we're seeing Clay reacting to the information. Um, But he says he knows what happened at Justin's party and Justin's party is an event that has been flagged as a significantly dangerous point in Clay's listening from the jock crew, as in... This is one of the moments that contained the exact information that they didn't want Clay to know. Clay seems to be implying that Jessica was assaulted at this party, and Jessica is straight up denying it. She's saying that Hannah was lying. Justin storms in and tells Clay to mind his own business, and Clay asks Justin who it was. Andy, Hannah's dad, confronts Mr. Porter with a copy of the poem that Hannah wrote. He's using it as evidence that the school did in fact know that Hannah was suicidal. Andy points to the poem mentioning that she wants to be lost forever, to which Mr. Porter says, Lots of teens talk about being lost, and Andy says, Well, God help them if they come to you, and then he leaves. That's a pretty appropriate response, to be honest, because I can't even remember what Mr. Porter's job is supposed to be in the school. Like, he's a guidance counselor or something? But whatever his job is, he is truly atrocious at it. Clay comes into the communications class and apologizes to the teacher for his actions the day before. He says that people need to take responsibility for their actions because they have consequences. Sherry, Justin, and Courtney all share a glance at one another, doing little to disguise their guilt. And I really like that Clay put them in this position. I really like badass Clay when he's on a mission. That... That rhymed, and I didn't even mean for it to do that. Rapping about 13 Reasons Why would definitely be the lamest thing for me to be doing in my life, but I won't rule it out as a possibility. But um, Clay is like a high school version of the Punisher here. Well, like a Disney version of the Punisher. Well, he's not really like the Punisher at all, but like, you know what I mean? He's, He's like out to get vengeance, and he has nothing to lose, and that makes him a fearful prospect for these guys to deal with. We get a flashback to Clay and Hannah cleaning chewing gum off the seats in the cinema, and Hannah's sporting a new haircut, which makes Clay do a double take. It's a part of her brand new self, but Clay doesn't actually comment on it. Clay attempts to persuade her to accompany him to the party at Jessica's house, and it kind of works. She says no, but she seems to change her mind later on, citing who she might miss out on, which is an obvious nod to Clay, it would appear. Marcus approaches Clay in the cafeteria and asks him what his play is. Typical sly Marcus trying to strategize his way into Clay's head. Clay's having none of it though and they argue about how there's a criminal walking around the school. Marcus says nobody knows if the tapes are telling the truth and Clay says if no one's going to do anything about it then he will. Marcus, referring to Clay's own tape, tells him that the worst is yet to come. 
Marcus goes to Bryce in the locker room and asks him if he can score some weed, and it's really obvious where this is going, and it plays out exactly how you'd expect it to. Marcus goes to Mr. Porter and tells him he's worried about Clay. A spot check ensues on the school premises, conducted by the police, no less, and it reveals a bag of weed in Clay's school bag. Clay protests, and the timeline shifts to Hannah at Jessica's party. Hannah actually gets a warm welcome from Bryce as she walks in the door, and when she arrives, all the jocks chant her name. It's weird, but, like, it's high school. What can you do? This is where Hannah learns that Justin is dating Jessica and she warns Jessica to be careful but Jessica doesn't care and just completely ignores her advice and sort of acts in a really condescending way to her. But we also learn that this is Justin's second tape. We go back to the school's office where Clay is being interrogated about the weed and this scene really showcases Mr. Porter's appalling perception skills. Clay is protesting and asking him like who told you about the drugs and Mr. Porter refuses to take him seriously and like it seems as though Mr. Porter does have an inclination to believe Clay so he says why tell me what you're hiding and Clay just refuses and walks away and Mr. Porter just makes no effort to treat Clay as anything other than you know, a drug user in this scene, and it, it's just so frustrating, like, this guy is, he's hes the new Tony in terms of how useless he's proving to be in every scene. Tony has come good, at least seemingly, for a while, and we'll see if Mr. Porter will. We go back to the party and see Clay being really charming with Hannah, and it's actually really great to see them finally sort of click, like, it's weird that their relationship hasn't taken place all that much in the same plane, like, in the same you know, reality, because it's mostly a really strange linking of a relationship in a story. Like, Hannah is in the present only as a voice that kind of guides Clay through this sort of rut that he's stuck in. Um, but in the past, they were really tight in certain scenes, and we've fallen away from that in the last few episodes, and it's just pretty good to see them sort of building on that again, and um, I guess another reminder that it's really sad that Hannah's dead, even though I don't think we needed any more of those. But this is about to get really dark. Um, Hannah is in Jessica's bedroom, and we don't know why she's there yet. Like, she alludes to there being a reason that she'll get to later on. But it's pretty obviously something to do with Clay, in my opinion. Um, but Justin and Jessica burst in and start getting freaky on the bed before Jessica basically passes out. We cut forward here to the present day where Clay's mother is taking him to the police station. They have a war of words about his behavior and eventually he tells his mother some of the stuff that's going on with him. Like he tells her about Hannah but not about the tapes or not about this uh, revelation that's about to occur with Bryce that in real time Clay knows about but we don't yet know about. But Clay kind of urgently departs the scene like saying he has to go, he'll be home for dinner. The music speeds up here and the tension grows there's cross shots of clay and hannah getting intimate that have only been referenced in like the start of episode three i think so far um but they don't build on that anymore there's also cross shots of justin and jessica on the bed and then clay sprinting and i think clay might actually be sprinting in two separate timelines at once at this point but what follows here is the most grim scene in the whole show so far and if this is what bryce and the guys are worried about clay finding out about they're definitely right to be concerned Bryce rapes an unconscious Jessica right there on the bed and it's pretty fucking disgusting to watch. Like all of this happened while Hannah stayed in the wardrobe and watched. Hannah expresses immense regret over that but also anger and confusion directed towards Justin. She does explicitly state on the tape that this is about Justin and not Bryce so I'm assuming we'll get to him next. 
Clay goes to Justin's house and urges him to tell Jessica the truth. During this scene, we get some typical meat-headed stubbornness from Justin, but we also get flashbacks to Justin's perspective and the way that Bryce fought his way into that room and denied Justin's attempts to get back in, and it is equally as bleak as the scene that came before it. Justin's cowardice is on full show here, along with Bryce's brazen, downright evil nature. I can't think of a better word for it than that. Just the look on his face, the way that he like navigates his way into that room, the, the way that he manipulates Justin. And it's, yeah, there, there's a moment where Clay asks Justin what Bryce has on him and Justin sort of refuses to answer. And I wonder if it is something big because the way that Bryce managed to manipulate Justin just implied so much more than it being a Bryce is King Jock and Justin must do everything that he says kind of relationship. But I feel like Hannah is just as guilty as Justin here. And I'm not sure that that's an uncontroversial stance to be taking. Like, sure, I understand that she's a girl and that Bryce has already demonstrated to her what a scary character he can be. And, like, obviously he's in the middle of one of the most violent acts a man can actually commit. And I would imagine that for a teenage girl, interrupting something like this would be equivalent to maybe a man interrupting like a robbery at a store or something like that. I'm not sure does that analogy hold up, but I like, I can, I can kind of understand, but I just don't get how she could witness that without attempting to stop it in some way it's just it's so bleak because the more I think about it the more I put myself in Hannah's shoes and then the more bleak it is as a scene this is the only episode that's come with a warning at the start of it um for the disturbing scenes that it, it has within it and like that definitely makes sense to me um I don't know I just I sort of feel like as bad as Justin was I think Hannah is equally as culpable because I don't know, you would think that some combination of Hannah and Justin could stop this from happening and uh, bring justice to the situation, but it just doesn't seem like that would happen because Justin was such a coward. But maybe had Justin used a little bit more aggression, then that could be combined with Hannah and... I don't know, but it's such a grim scene. And um, yeah, really just... uh, Like, I I thought the scene where Bryce approached Hannah in the liquor store and assaulted her basically I thought that that was pretty bleak to watch but I mean this was like a hundred times worse than that um Jessica herself appears to be unsure of what actually happened but she's clearly grappling with these faded flashbacks of possibilities and you know you combine that with the fact that she's day drinking in school um it's pretty clear that she knows something happened and uh all of her denial is really just her trying to I come to terms with it or, or rather avoid it completely clay then confronts tony in his garage where he's fixing a car i love tony um clay asks him how he could listen to all of that and not tell anyone he gets so aggressive in this scene uh he says to tony like fuck you fuck all of you uh that he's gonna bring justice to this himself um Tony just tells him that he needs to listen to all the tapes as if there's even more to come and I don't know how many pieces you'd need to assemble to a story like where going to the police doesn't 
make sense here, but this show does continue to surprise me with each episode, and I'm sure that Clay is going to keep listening to the episodes, and more mental stuff is going to come to light, so um, I'm definitely excited to find out how it concludes. I think I've only got, let me do some quick maths here in my head, four episodes left, um, but they're going to have to be stacked with like some serious stuff uh, in order to, to sort of conclude this show and uh, bring everything together but damn this episode was insane um it's kind of so this is going to sound really ridiculous but it's kind of a shame on one hand that the warning thing came up at the start of the episode because it basically you know foreshadowed the main event of the episode and kind of made me pretty much understand what happened like i was able to predict what happened before it happened um but you know obviously they're gonna have to forewarn people especially when this show has a large teenage fan base and stuff like that and uh that's fine but like goddamn, they could have put it like a few minutes before the scene or something i don't know um but yeah we finally have an inkling as to why the jock crew were so uptight and so nervous about clay finding out and we also have to find out what the tread is that's keeping everyone under Bryce's thumb um, and like what's letting them, what's allowing Bryce to manipulate them all. Like, I don't know if it is just his social status and the fact that he's the captain of the football team. He has a lot of sway in the school. Like he's uh, obviously like quite a big guy in comparison to the others, but they're hell bent on protecting him. And I am definitely eager to find out why. So, um, yeah, it was a crazy episode. Before I went into it, I definitely wasn't expecting anything as bleak as I saw because I've sort of approached this in a kind of condescending manner as just a teenage show, but it really is a lot more than that. And uh, it does deal with some very controversial themes and um, a lot of, like, you know, taboo subjects. And that's definitely pretty interesting. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited for episode 10 and I hope you guys are excited to hear what I think of it. Um, I, I feel like I'm still digesting this episode and maybe I'll even speak a little bit more about it at the start of the next review. But anyway, if you enjoyed, please do leave a like. I have been El De Niro. Thanks for listening. Oh yeah, before I end, actually, a loose observation that no one will care about at all. But Jessica's mother is seen for the first time in this episode and she's played by Andrea Roth, who played Tommy's wife, Janet, in Rescue Me. Uh, which was one of my favorite shows of all time, Rescue Me. And if you guys are looking for a new TV show to watch, you should watch the first three seasons of Rescue Me. Even the first five seasons, I don't know. Uh, you'll want to watch the whole thing if you are into it. And if you're not, that's fine. But uh, it's, a, it's a really good show about firefighters dealing with like a post 9-11 world, like the deaths of their friends, the breakup of families and stuff like that. And uh, it's just an incredibly angsty harrowing depressive manic like uh exciting action-packed ride of a show and um if you like 13 reasons why you probably like those themes in your tv shows so um yeah check that out anyways peace